Good evening. We're thrilled that you've come out to worship with us tonight. We're encouraged. I know there's a lot of people out of town. We've got fall break this week. We've got a lot of our number traveling, and uh, we want to remember them in our prayers. We hope they'll come back safely and be with us again. If you wasn't here this morning, you missed another good lesson by Brother Matt. I'm so encouraged by him, and every time he gets up here, it's a little better than it was before, and I'm I can only think how good he's going to be in a couple years when he gets out of preaching school. We want to continue to encourage Matt and, and lift it up by you, brother. If I was going to put a title on the lesson tonight, I would call it Presumptuous Worship. I'm going to talk a little bit about what God wants us to do, not only in the worship service but in our lives, but I'm going to go about this in, in maybe a different way than you've seen before. I'm not going to go in detail how we're supposed to worship and what we're supposed to do because the Bible lays that out. But rather, I'm going to give you some examples and talk about why we should do it that way. Let me start by asking you a question. How many people likes to get a present of some kind? How many people likes Christmas? Don't you like Christmas? Don't you like your birthday and you get some kind of present? What's the best way to get what you want? Tell somebody. Tell somebody what you want. When you go buy a present, don't you think about this. When you go buy a present from some, for someone, what do you get? You get something I like, don't you? If you go pick something out from some, for someone, you're not thinking about their taste. You're thinking about mine. Man, I really like this, so they'll probably like it. And you, you buy what we want. Well, don't we do that a lot? If someone asks you, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And you say, well, how, you know, how much are you going to spend? Maybe this is a parent, a sibling, some, someone, and they say, well, I'm going to spend about $50 on you. What do you want? And you say, well, I've got this home improvement project that I'm working on. I would really like to have a Lowe's gift card. You know, that's simple. You've told them what you want. They've told you an amount. It's laid out there real simple. And Christmas morning comes and the family gets together and you see your gift card and you open it up and you've got this nice gift card for J.C. Penney's. Now, you can't buy plywood at J.C. Penney's. You laid it out very clear what you wanted. They spent $50 on you. It was hard-earned money. The thought was there. You know, the intent was there. But yet... They gave you what they thought you would want instead of what you thought you would want. How dare them think they know more about what you want or what I want than, than I do. What about uh, food for the sick? Fountainhead is really good when someone has surgery or someone is sick and they're going to be late up for a while. The women get together and they, they kind of schedule out some meals and they take food and they make sure that these people are taken care of. Really, really great. So let's just say, for example, if, if someone has is, is got some kind of surgery planned and they go to them and say, hey, can we fix you a meal? Yes, that would be great. That would be great. The doctor said, I can't eat red meat after this surgery. Anything else is fine. So you go through the procedure you get home and you hear a knock on the door and, and here's a good brother or sister or a family member and they've got this covered dish and this is so nice. They have put so much effort into this. They have, they have devoted their time to make you this dish so you could eat and you carry it in there and you're thrilled to death and you open it up and it's hamburgers. 
it's a, it's a great gesture, and I love a good hamburger, but you just told them you couldn't eat red meat. How dare them think that they know more about what you want than you do? Let's say you're building a house. Say Mark. Mark's building a house over here. He's got the lot laid out, and he's ready to pour the foundation. He's getting all this lined up. So he calls Sunbelt or United Rentals or one of these places and says, Hey, Monday morning, I need to dig a foundation. We're going to pour it that day. I need a backhoe brought out here. All right? He gets it lined up. Everything's done. He gets all the other crew lined up, everything ready to go, and he shows up Monday morning, and there's a bulldozer sitting out here on the lot. And you call the guy up and say, you know, I need a backhoe. Yeah, but this bulldozer, this is a lot nicer. I'm going to give it to you for the same price. You can't dig a foundation with a bulldozer. How dare him think that he knows more than you do about what you want or what you need? What about, um, say you're putting carpet in this house. And you go to the store and you pick out carpet, something like what we've got here. And you get it picked out all through the house and you pay for this. And then you have it set up and they come out and they lay your carpet. And when you show up to start moving in, you've got red shag carpet about that tall. That was loud. <laughs> Nothing against shag carpet. You know, all of you may have that in your, in your den. Nothing against that. It's not what you ask for. And you call them up and they say, oh, this is a much better quality carpet than you've asked for. This is so much better. But it's not what you asked for. It's not what you paid for. It's not the negotiation that you made and said, I'm going to give you this amount of money. I'm buying this. This is what I want. Christ paid a debt for us. He has the right to get what He wants. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 10. We're going to look at some very, very common verses and common stories that we're all familiar with. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and verse 2. Now Nahab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them in his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out from fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Their sin was they offered a strange fire to the Lord that he did not ask for. It could be that they were supposed to use the fire back from chapter 9, verse 24, that the Lord had given them. We don't know. All we know is they did not follow the instructions. They did not use the fire he asked for. It's not that they did something he told them not to do. They just didn't do it the way he said. How dare them think they know more about what God wants than what he wants. He laid it out. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 15. First Samuel chapter 15. We're going to read. We're going to start with the first three verses and then we're going to skip around a little bit. Chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee king over his people, over Israel. 
Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalekite did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and spite, smite Amalekite, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. He makes it pretty clear. Kill them all. Wipe them out. He makes this very clear to Saul. Look down at verse 8. Actually, verse 7 says Saul smote the Amalekites. And then in verse 8, it talks about how he did it. He says, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge, they utterly destroyed. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be the king. For he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Skip down to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now wait a minute. Saul in his mind is thinking, I have done right. I have done what the Lord has asked me to do. But he's not followed the directions. Verse 14. And Samuel saith, What meaneth then the bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? and the lowering of the oxen that I hear. And Saul, can you imagine how excited Saul is here telling what he, what he did? Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Saul doesn't get it. He was given a very clear commandment, but he doesn't get it. He still doesn't see that he has done anything wrong. Verse 16, Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? In verse 20 here, Saul still doesn't get it. He's trying to understand where he went wrong. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, 
Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, it is better to obey than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath rejected thee from being the king. Saul didn't get it. He thought he was doing what God said, but he didn't listen. He did what he thought in his mind God would want. God laid out a clear plan and told him to utterly destroy everything. He thought he was going above and beyond by bringing back the spoil and offering sacrifice to God, but that's not what God asked for. God laid it out very clear, and Saul did not follow the commands. How dare Saul think he know more than God knows about what God wants? Flip on over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Another story here that we all know. Second Samuel chapter 6. going to read the first three verses. And David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth in the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart, and they brought it out to the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Aho, the sons of Abinadab, drave the, cart, the new cart. All right, skip down to verse 6. And when they came to Nikon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Numbers 4.15 tells us the law and and how they were not to touch holy things. Uzzah may have had enough love and respect for God's great ark that he was disturbed when the oxen stumbled and he saw the ark shaking and he leaned his hand up to catch the ark. He may have had everything, had the best intentions in his heart. But yet God was very clear, you do not touch the ark of the covenant. You know, I'm sure that he knew the law. He knew that he wasn't supposed to. But this was an emergency. The ark could fall. Don't you know that's what he was thinking? Don't you know that was the last thoughts that went through his mind? How dare Uzzah think he knows more about what God wants than God does? Today, we have two ways of knowing what God wants. We have two ways of knowing how He wants us to worship Him. We have command. We have example. How dare we think that we know more than God and try to change some of the simple things that He has put in. If we've added anything to the worship, anything that was not in the New Testament church, or if we've taken anything away, then our worship is in vain. Flip over to Matthew chapter 15 verse 9. Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. It says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. 
they had brought in tradition and they was teaching it for doctrine. And he says, that's in vain. Our worship cannot be in vain. Flip over to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, we're going to start reading with verse 16. Paul is in Athens. He's left Timothy and some others on this missionary journey and some other places, and he's come to Athens here. And Athens was, it was all things Greece. It was the Greece gods and the, the uh, astrology, all the stuff, you know, the philosophers and all these things that they were really into. And in verse 16, it says, When Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him when the whole city was given to idolatry. First off, I want you to think, how would we be if we go to Athens and we saw all this idolatry? Would our spirit be stirred or would we be so immune to the things going on in today's world that we just look the other way? Paul's spirit was stirred. He was upset. Verse 17, it says, Therefore... He disputed with them in the synagogues with the Jews. He went to work trying to fix this, trying to find out why they were worshiping the way they were, why they were worshiping these gods, little g, these false gods, these idols. Skip down to verse 23. Paul here is standing on Mars Hill, and he's got this great crowd gathered, all these philosophers he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. They were so superstitious, they were so religious, that they had idols for every god they could think of, and they even had one idol out here to the unknown God in case they missed someone. So Paul comes in and he says, As I came in, I saw that y'all had an idol to the unknown God. Let me tell you about him. He's the one you need to know about. Paul goes on in verse 24 to tell them about the God that they didn't know, the unknown God. He says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped, with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Skip on down to verse 30. Paul goes on here and he tells them about the God they didn't know. And in verse 30, he tells them that everything else that they've done is just out of ignorance. It says, In this time of ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Brothers and sisters, this was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, God had stopped winking at ignorance and commanded men to repent. He commands the same thing today. Vain worship is not acceptable. Ignorant worship is not acceptable. Only true worship is. Flip over to John Chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 24. We all know this verse. God is a spirit. They that worship Him 
must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God has no body. He has no body parts. He's pure spirit. We must worship Him from our spirit. We must, we must worship Him with our whole soul. But the second part of this verse is just as important as the first part, and that is truth. We must worship God in truth. Many today will pour out their heart and their soul in some kind of worship to God, and they'll bring great gifts to God as we would look at it. Just as we looked at those gifts that were brought to us, and that's not what we want. That's not what we ask for. They've got to offer their gifts to God in truth. They have to worship in spirit with the body and soul, but also in truth. They have to worship the way God wants them to worship. So often today, that's not the case. We have examples of what worship should be. We know that worship should be the kind of worship that the apostles started in the early church. And again, I told you when I started, I'm not going to go into the steps of worship. I'm not going to go into that. I'm more focused on seeing why we have to do that. I want you to see the pattern. I want you to see that when God lays something out there, that's what He wants. Don't change it. Don't change it. There are five steps of worship or five elements of worship listed in the New Testament. There's singing, and we're told how to sing. We're told what instrument to use. There's praying. There's preaching and teaching. There's giving of our means. That's four. What have I left out? Singing, praying, teaching, preaching, giving of our means. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. That's the five elements that must be done every Sunday, every Lord's Day when we come together. Acts 20, verse 7, it says, And the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. That was their purpose. We talked about that in class a few Sundays ago. How many out there only do it once a quarter, once a year? The instrument that we're told to use is our hearts. Nothing else is mentioned. Just as Nahab and Abihu, they had one type fire mentioned, and they used a different type that wasn't mentioned. It didn't say don't use it, but it's obvious God was not pleased with it. The instrument we're supposed to use is our heart. When you add to or take away, our worship becomes in vain. Just as when you add to or take away anything from the book of life, as it says in Revelations, then the plagues that are written therein will be added to us. Tonight I have not given you the gospel, but we know the steps. We know that Christ died for our sins. We know that He was buried and He arose on the third day. We know that when we are baptized that we are buried with Him in baptism just as He was buried and we arise to walk in newness of life. We know that our sins are washed away because in Acts chapter 2 when the church was established in verse 37 the people were pricked in their heart and they said, Men and brethren, what do we do? And Peter said... In verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. We know that when Christ was standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with His disciples before He ascended, He gave them marching orders. Mark 15, verse 16. Uh, Mark 16, 16. He that, believeth and, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. And is a coordinating conjunction. It ties 
belief and baptism together. It takes both of them. We know that. And many of us have followed that step and we've become children of God, but sometimes life just drags us down. Sometimes we need that little boost. And God's here for you. God has that little boost. If you need the prayers of the church, if there's a sin on your heart that you need to repent of, or if you haven't put on the Lord in baptism, this is your opportunity. Once you come, it's together we stand and sing.